Welcome to Tattooed Freaks and Business Suits, recorded live in the kitchen of the Personal Touch Career Services in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Donna Shannon. As a professional career coach, I help people navigate the hiring maze to get to the jobs they really love. So in addition to working with job seekers one-on-one, I do have a book out there. You can find How to Get a Job Without Going Crazy on Amazon. So I do have a special guest today. We're going to get to him a little bit later. His name is Ryan, he who chooses to be anonymous, but you'll see why later. So anyways, our show's purpose is to explore and redefine the world of work, especially as Gen X, Millennials, and those to come after seek positions of leadership that still allow them to be themselves. So every show, we will explore a topic related to business or job searching. And of course, we're going to talk about tattoos. Our sponsor is the Personal Touch Career Services here in Denver, and we are one of the top-rated career coaching services out here. So what we do is we focus on those practical tools for your job search. So that includes resumes, LinkedIn profiles, job search coaching, and ongoing classes. So check out our ridiculously long website, personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com, or, you know, you can just Google it. So our big topic today is something that a lot of people don't necessarily like to talk about. It's when you suck at something. And not necessarily, oh my God, I totally suck. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to get it right. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a story to kind of give the premise on why I want to talk to you about this today. So I've been trying to schedule some comedy shows up in my local area. I've been very successful in booking some shows and filling a room, selling out every month down in Pueblo. It's about two hours away. I got the room because my old college buddy is the sound engineer at this restaurant, helped him build this speakeasy theater thing in the back, right? So highly, highly successful, really taking off. But now when I'm trying to do it here locally, I'm running into my same old challenges in that I have trouble getting venues to get back to me. I'm having trouble identifying spaces I want to use and all the rest of this. And the other day I was going, oh my God, I just really suck at event planning. And it's so frustrating because I have a vision of what I want to do and it's just not happening. So it's so easy for me to start going down that route of I suck and this is never going to work and I don't know why I'm trying this and blah, 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 blah. And you know what? It's a load of crap. Because here's the thing, while I'm struggling with this right now, I've done successful shows up in the Denver area. The very first show I ever produced was a sellout. It was timing... (laughs) was a problem. It was February 2020. Sold out show. So then, but my show in April 2020 had to cancel for obvious reasons, right? So everything got off the rails and things like this. So now that we're back in 2023 and events are opening up again, and I'm trying to get this stuff going. And I was in a meeting yesterday with one of my committees on an association I serve on, And I mentioned I'm having trouble getting an event space there too. I'm trying to like set up a happy hour in October. I've got a six month ramp to get this thing done. 
And again, nobody's getting back to me. All the venues are just quiet. It's hard to find them. And I'm like, people, I want to give you my money. I want to make this happen. I want you to sell lots of booze and food. And why won't you talk to me? Oh, obviously, I suck at this. But as soon as I pointed my challenge out to the committee, you know what they said? They all have the same problem with events and venues and all the rest of this. And it suddenly made me realize it's not me that sucks. It's that I need room for improvement here. And rather than getting frustrated and upset, I need to understand what the market conditions are like, how much of this is me and my performance and how much of it is just industry standards, i.e. in this case, event planners always have challenges with venues getting back to them, which you wouldn't think would be an issue, but it is. And had I not reached out to other people having similar challenges, I never would have known that. And I would have continued to just take it personally. So this is one of those things where I'm saying it's so important to reach out to others, especially like if you're in a job search, it can be so devaluing and oh my God, nobody's getting back to me. I just get computerized rejections on my resume. Surely this is me, the job seeker. I suck. I'm never going to get a job. Blah, 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 blah. That's not true. You have to reach out to others in the same boat. That's why I love running my networking groups. It's awesome when people come to me for coaching because I can give them real world advice, help them unpack that negativity and see what can you control? What can you not? Such as you can definitely get a better resume done. You can definitely tweak the keywords to match a job search, but things you cannot control. Well, the your dream company just had mass layoffs. There's no way you can change that. That's market conditions. Or the one job you're dreaming of, they already have an internal candidate and they're only posting that job to go through the motions legally. You don't know that because it's things you cannot see. So if you're running into challenges, don't take it as just something I suck and you'll never get better. Now, uh, I am going to point out a couple of things that Sometimes things are not our strengths. That's when we can start to see how can we overcome these challenges by embracing those weaknesses. One of my classic things with this is the more I do creative work and the more I do visionary work in my business, the more I find it difficult to do simple math. <laughs> uh, I know that sounds stupid, but it's true. Yeah, I'm like trying to calculate a 10% discount for a client and I've got the calculator open and I'm still struggling with figuring out a 10% discount. 10% discounts are not difficult, but uh, yeah, it's just, that's a case of rust. I used to be a math whiz in high school. I'm still better than an average bear. I can actually multiply things by hand if necessary but it's just something I'm not doing as much anymore. So that's a case of rust. Now there are the true weaknesses and that's when I need to do that honest assessment about what are things that I'm honestly not good at. One of them is project management. 
I have a very hard time understanding project management and timetables and making sure things are happening in time and procedure development. It's a really big struggle for me. Uh, also, another big weakness of mine is I'm not detail-oriented. And that's so awful. There are so many people, and I've said it in interviews, I'm not detail-oriented. Well, I don't interview for jobs anymore, because then <laughs> if I said that, they would be like, well, you know, we're going to pass on you. But the whole thing with not being detail-oriented, how do I deal with that weakness? I need to put tools in place or people I can rely on to help me with that weakness. Case in point, I now use Grammarly a lot. Grammarly, if you don't know what it is, it's a, it's an, it's an AI, but it's one that I actually kind of trust sometimes, most of the time. It took a few years for it to get to the point where it was as reliable as it is now. And it just points out grammar errors and makes suggestions for streamlining things. You can actually set Grammarly to different tones. By the way, if you run a document through Grammarly, you send it to a friend, they send it back to you and they're like, oh, I found like 20 mistakes in Grammarly. It's like, well, what level did you have it set at? Were you writing casual, business casual, formal business? Because you can change your settings in Grammarly and get two different results. So case in point, all you people who are like, I ran it through Grammarly and your writing sucks. It's like, no, and we're talking about different <laughs> tones. Um, just 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 a little tip there uh, but anyways i rely on grammarly to help me in those fast in the moments making sure that my slight dyslexia is not going to cause spelling errors in an email or on a linkedin message or whatever i know that's a weakness i know i have dyslexia i know i need to rely on an editor whether it's a human being or whether it's a smart AI that I trust. So that's one way that embracing that weakness has actually helped me a lot in overcoming that challenge to the point where I'm much faster, I'm more productive, and my writing has improved. Now there's sometimes where Grammarly will make suggestions for me that steals my voice. There are times when I'm going to say something in a more formal manner versus, oh, it just wants me to streamline and get quick with it. And it's like, nope, this is my style. That's a style choice. This is what makes me sound like a human. This is what makes me sound like Donna. Yep, I know you're not recommending it, but I'm going to ignore you, Mr. AI, because I still want to be me. It's not fully computer generated. So just a last point on that one. All right, so there we go. That's one way that making sure, even though you suck at something, really kind of evaluate, is it a true weakness? Is this something you just need to learn better? Or is this something you need to check with industry experts and people who are experienced in it to see if maybe it's not you, maybe it's them. Not, not your experts, that is. The, you know who I mean. Those, the big nasty them that are keeping you back from everything. All right, we're going to take a short break. I'm going to come back with Ryan, he who shall be not be further named, and 
we're going to talk about some testing options to help you figure out what your strengths are. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for hanging in here with us. I want to introduce to you Ryan, he who shall not be further named. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me here. It's always good to have a, a guest, no matter what the circumstance may be. Right. So one of the things that I do like to take my clients through, especially if they've got some questions about what career they want to do or figuring out if they're in the best place, is a couple of assessment tests I like. I don't do a lot of assessment tests. I think, honestly, like the famous Myers-Briggs test is not very reliable. Are you familiar with Myers-Briggs? I am not. So Myers-Briggs is the real famous one, which is like um, the I am a INTSJ MF. <laughs> <laughs> I get called MF a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm an INAF. I don't know. I, I really don't even know. But it's most famous for like, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you intuitive? Are you um, all the rest? I can't even remember what it is, but there's like four different letters to describe your personality. And there's basically 16 different personality types that are based on that. It's a very common test. Uh, I don't believe it's valid because number one, I don't think there's 16 personalities. I think there's way more than that. I agree. Also, every single time I've ever taken a Myers-Briggs test, not just one, but two to three of the four letters, I score so much in the dead middle that it says it, it could go either way. So it's not even accurate on assessing me. So... I would consider myself, for example, I'm pretty extroverted, but I also do need some introversion as well. It's known as an extroverted introvert these days, or a blended is the more uh, realized aspect of that one. Whereas I am more of an introvert. You're like a classic introvert. Yeah. Very much so. I'm not going to be hiding in the basement at all times, but it does. I have to prepare myself to go out. Right. Right. And I will talk to strangers in the grocery store. And I have people come and approach me all the time at the grocery store. Well, that's because you're tall. I, well, and and just I have the, the nice... Uh, people think I'm nice and have that nice outlook in life. Mm -hmm. And they approach me and they want to talk to me about things. And I'm like, well, I don't, I don't mind talking to you, but I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, and I know there's some people out there are total fans of Myers-Briggs, but it was originally started in like the 20s or 30s by a mom and her daughter, her adult daughter. They weren't formal psychiatrists or things like this, and they invented this test, and it was kind of really a party trick. And then it just kind of got adopted into the lexicon of self-help and know yourself, and things have really grown about it and things like that. Another one is the DISC assessment. So capital D, little I, S, C. This one's more for corporate teams and how do people work together in that way. 
I, I believe I've taken that one at, at my job. I'm sure you probably yeah. have. It's very famous, very popular among teams. So it's all about how can you make sure you're, you've got the best people in the best positions based on <laughs> their management styles. Are they a leader? Are they follower? Do they, are they an individual contributor that be best to just kind of leave them alone and let them do their own thing? That's kind of like DISC. I'm not DISC certified, obviously. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm I'd, not either. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, I'd be able to explain that better. Uh, but the one that is my favorite is actually called U Science. So it's YOUScience.com. And what this one does is it tests people for their aptitudes. Not just, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you team oriented? Are you more, uh, you know, self-paced? It dives into some of the like different types of intelligences, like spatial reasoning, mathematical ability, logic, creativity, uh, vocabulary, all of these kind of things. Okay. And what's cool about it is the tester set up like gamification. So it's not totally boring to go through it. Okay. Well, I made you do it a few years ago. A few, that was a very, very long time ago. Right. And what is also really cool is at the end of it, not only does it give you this 30-page report, gives you about 100 to 300 different possible careers that would be a good fit for your skills. And when I took the test, I thought it was really insightful and spot on. And a lot of times I sneer at personality testing <laughs> this one was good it, it was pretty it, to the fact it worked out rather well yeah and there were some things in there that strengths that i hadn't realized before like i scored pretty high on spatial reasoning so what that means is like i could look at um for example a diagram of a box like how do you build this box and I'd be able to figure out how does that look in a 3D space based on a 2D picture. Okay. And mine was more based off on structure. I need I need structure to follow to... to that was the best for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I'm definitely like a free spirit, huge brainstormer, extremely high creativity. And the math test, I know I already told you I don't do math. But if it's math that's related to physical space, I do a lot better with it. That makes sense. Yeah. Weird, right? Yeah, that's very weird. Yeah. So one of the careers it suggested for me is that I could be an architect. I'm like, well, I ain't going back to school to be an architect. <laughs> <laughs> but then I was all like, oh, but I really do enjoy looking at buildings and architecture. I've always enjoyed that. Yeah. And even when I was in high school... My physics course that I took, it was like a duck in water. Some of the more theoretical ones when I was getting into calculus and trigonometry were getting more challenging for me. Um, I didn't care for those so much, but physics and geometry, very natural because it relates to physical space. Weird, huh? That's very weird. Yeah. But I can see it in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh... Sorry, everybody. My EQ, my emotional intelligence scored pretty dang low. 
And mine scored pretty dang high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, every Slytherin needs their emotional support at Hufflepuff. <laughs> and I am a Hufflepuff, yes. <laughs> I am a Slytherin. <laughs> yeah, literally true. Um, so anyways, what was really cool about this test, and by the way, it wasn't originally designed for skilled professionals or people with a lot of experience. I was at a conference for career counselors and coaches just a couple of weeks ago. One of the guys I was sitting next to, he's actually the developer of the test. Wow. Yeah. So he's like the founder and all the rest of this. And his mission is to not just use these for college kids, but to give them to like kids as young as middle school and high school. So they understand not just, are you an introvert or an extrovert? But like their real aptitudes and skills and strengths. Because sometimes the aptitudes, whereas your personality might change as you get older. Right. Your aptitudes don't necessarily do. But once you know what your aptitudes are, you can do further study or get experience in that area. And it gives you a much better path. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. But when I was explaining to him how I've been using it for people who are already mid-career and above, he was kind of fascinated with that because it hadn't occurred to him to use it that way. Right. That's that's pretty interesting, especially the chance that you got a chance to speak to him on that level. Yeah. And I pointed out that sometimes, even though it's not like a one-on-one correlation between the career suggested, Correct. like one of the other things that suggested was I should be a teacher. I'm like, <laughs> hey, I ain't going back to school to teach kids. Yeah. No. But I vastly enjoy teaching job seekers to the point that I do it for free too much. Way too much. (laughs) (laughs) Truth comes out. Yeah. But, uh, so I was explaining to him, like one of my clients who was, had that big question, what she was going to do background as administrative assistant, lots of skills to go in different areas, but she didn't know what to do. And we found that she was scoring real high on artistic abilities and that whole same thing with the spatial reasoning and physical space. But she also had other aptitudes where she needed to care about what she was doing personally. And I was like, you know what? You could take all your skills in office management and look at this in different ways. You could be like a manager at an event center that's doing like art galleries and something like the Arvada Center up here in Colorado. As long as they call you back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I could put her in there and she would call me back. <laughs> <laughs> or another way to look at it is go be part of the support team with an architectural firm because you will enjoy being in the environment while still getting to apply the skills that you already have. So it's kind of out of the box thinking for how to use the test. But it's worked, hasn't it? Yeah, it's gotten some pretty interesting results for our clients. And that that's the bottom line. You just want the, you want the test to work so they know what they're going to do. Because mm-hmm. especially when it gets to people who are mid-career, I hear this a lot. They don't like their job. They don't like what they're doing, especially if the corporate values are not aligning with who they are. Let's face it, Gen X, Millennials, all the rest of that, that's an important thing to us. And they don't want to just completely throw away all the skills they had from the last 10, 15 years. Right. 
but they want to apply it in a new and different way. So I, one of the things I, I tell people all the time, it's like, let's explore some different industries and let's focus on ones that are doing well. In other words, find the money and do what you like within it. Yeah, show me the money. Right. We used to say, like in the 80s and 90s, when we were going through, you know, career selection at the high school, the book going around a lot was do what you love and the money will follow. <laughs> Have yeah. you ever heard the phrase? I've heard the phrase, yes. Yeah. Well, apparently that's not encouraged anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? <laughs> so there's that. Another test that I do like is Strengths Finder 2.0. And I've done that. I yeah, I've done Strength Finder mm -hmm. 2.0, excuse me. Yeah, it has changed names. So if you know it as Clifton Strengths or Clifton Strengths Finder, that's all the same thing. Okay. So uh, just in case you're wondering. But the, what that one does, it's the 50, no, it's 32 different skills, like you know, um, ideation, which is coming up with new ideas. Some of them are a little silly, like woo, W-O-O, <laughs> woo. <laughs> it's like getting excited about reaching goals. It's like salespeople are woo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sales. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <That's>, woo. Uh. <laughs> but uh, I will admit the very first time I took that test, I got pissed off at it. I think I did too when I took it. Yeah, because this, this isn't me. Yeah, because it's like the first five top skills I had were everything relating to uh, creativity, ideation, imagination, um, intelligence, things like this. I'm like, oh, great. I don't do anything. I just sit around and think all day. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know why I got pissed about that now, but I don't even remember what mine were. I blocked it out. Yeah. But you know what they say, the truth will set you free, but first it will piss you off. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. But anyways, that's another one. If you're if all our people out there, if you're wondering about eh, and you want to figure out what your strengths are, those are some good ones. Um, but I do have to talk about a book that I read last year. <laughs> okay. What was that book? Um, and to be fair... I absolutely hated this book. But you read it. I dumped it halfway through. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, so let's take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about this hated book. Okay, so this book that I just set my teeth on edge. It is called So Good They Can't Ignore You, Why Skills Trump Passion in the Quest for the Work You Love by Cal Newport. So let me read you a quick summary of what this book is all about. So Cal reveals that matching your job to a pre-existing passion does not matter. <laughs> Passion comes after you put in the hard work to become excellent at something valuable, not before. In other words, what you do for a living is much less important than how you do it. Okay. <laughs> so the whole concept is 
that telling people to go after jobs that they love, especially like college graduates and things like this, is not going to lead them to job success. It actually leads them to a lot of job hopping, uh, dissatisfaction, wasted years of their life and everything. So the people who are most happiest in their jobs are the ones who've been doing it for a long time to the point where they have gained mastery in what they do. So therefore, they love what they do. I disagree. I, I mean, I've been on my job for 25 years, and people that know me know I'm not happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they pretty much... They, Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Just fine. Mm. No, need, no need to be enthusiastic with what I've been doing for 25 years. Yeah. Because you're, you're more in the office space, headspace. Uh, currently, yes. Yes. So if nobody knows what office space is, then you've been living under a rock. You know, great movie. Go watch it. Now we know what TPS reports come from. Right. But he's got the excellent quote in there, the protagonist of... Is he a protagonist at all? <laughs> really? Yeah, I would call him a protagonist. <laughs> is... Uh, He's got all these bosses breathing down his neck. There's no incentive for doing a good job. So his only incentive is basically to do just enough work that he won't get in trouble. And I've done that. Yeah. I've done that at my job. I mean, I'll carry around a bunch of paperwork, look like you're really busy and look like you're really stressed out. And they walk right by you. Mm -hmm. Knowing that I'm just carrying paperwork that I printed off for home use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, that's not the case. So one of the tests that the guy gave, so this dude, he's a professor at Georgetown University, I believe. I'm probably wrong because I never fact check because I'm not detail oriented. You didn't finish the book. <laughs> that I'm also not detail oriented. <laughs> I looked it up, but I forgot. So uh, one of the studies he did is he put out a survey of like all the administrative assistants at the university and some other close universities. And what he found was that the assistants who had more than 10 years of experience on the job were the ones that are most satisfied in their work. So therefore people who've got 10 or more years of experience on the job are very efficient and have masterful the skills necessary to do the job, ergo, those are your happiest employees. Well, it also doesn't take into consideration how many times they've been passed up for maybe a promotion mm -hmm. or other people have been promoted ahead of them. I, I, I don't believe that, but that's just me being from my position. Yeah, here's my my theory so also since the the people with the lowest job satisfaction were those with about two or three years worth of experience so it was a lot of new college graduates going into entry-level roles as administrative assistants georgetown university is not cheap no it's not so I, they may not have gotten their degree there but it's also very very common for a new college graduates get a job at their alma mater so they can just push through and get their master's done and with like saving on tuition that way. Right. So that happens a lot. Okay. But also, I'm sorry, you just pay fifty, sixty thousand dollars for a degree 
and you're working an entry-level job that pays maybe 40000 and you only took it because it was what you could get at the time, it's not... Nobody has a passion to become an administrative assistant at a university. You don't graduate with that goal. No, you don't graduate with that goal at all. So, of course, they're not as happy as somebody who's basically settled and accepted their fate and stayed for 10 years. (laughs) Some of us accepted the fate. Yeah, I've accepted my fate years ago. But the other problem is you had tried to put in for promotions. I have, yes. Team leads even within your own department. Correct. And there's a very strong possibility that you may have hit the wall in your company where... You're so valuable at what you do because you're so good at it. And I am good at what I do. Yeah. They can't afford to lose you where you're at. Right. And I've, I haven't heard that direct from a manager, but I've talked to other people that have been in their job for this, not as long as I have, but they feel the same way. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I've tried for jobs and I've tried for promotions and it's just like they always pick somebody else. So I'm at the point now, it's like, why do I even try for a promotion? I know I'm not going to get it. Yeah. So, but you should be the happiest person at the company. (laughs) (laughs) I am not the happiest person at my company. (laughs) Far from it. I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy in my home life. Mm -hmm. I've just, I, I work for my stuff. Mm-hmm. I like my stuff. I like my car, my house, like my clothes. So I guess I'm happy at home, just not overly happy at the office. Right. Right. So the other point of this guy's argument in this book that I've hated. Uh, <laughs> so the quote, be so good you can't, they can't ignore you, comes from Steve Martin. So somebody asked him once, how do you succeed in comedy? And that was his answer. You become so good, they can't ignore you. And so this guy is using Steve Martin's career as a example of, it doesn't matter that he had passion for comedy or not. What mattered is that he put in all the work to slog away at it. And I'm sorry, as somebody who does stand-up comedy on the side, I am going to call total bullshit on this one. He slogged away for a long time before he got on SNL. I know. I think I've seen stats that he was like doing open mics and small gigs and stuff like that for like up to 10 years. Because he was very unusual for stand-up. He was kind of weird. He had this creative side spin that traditional bookers didn't know how to deal with it. So it took a while for something like SNL to come along right? for him to get involved with it. And here's the thing. All right. If you only get to do what you love by having strong skills in it, nobody goes to 10 years worth of slogging in front of open mics and hostile crowds and bombing on stage if they don't love some aspect of comedy. You'd have to very. You'd have to love it. You, yeah, you just don't. Why would you go for all that punishment and suffering if there was not some aspect of that job that you loved? 
That's my argument. That that's a called good argument. I can't I can't counterpoint it. Yeah. So stop using Steve Martin as your example here, because all you're doing is proving my point, not yours. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you should go do an open mic, dude, and then you're going to change your mind. (laughs) (laughs) He probably would get laughed off the stage. Yeah, booed off the stage. Booed off, my apologies. Yeah, just like the Joker. (laughs) You know, the comments at, like, the Joker movie. (laughs) Uh, another one of his examples was Steve Jobs. Uh, okay, Steve Jobs fanatics out there, I'm going to totally butcher some history for you because, of course, I'm not detail-oriented. And I'm remembering this from six, uh, more than six months ago when I despised this book. So his argument that uh, Steve Jobs never had a passion for computers. Okay. It's like, huh? Uh-huh. Huh? But Steve Jobs, actually, when he got out of college or whatever, early in his career, his goal was to just kind of like go with the hippie communes in San Francisco and uh, free spirit and stuff like that. Okay. So he started doing computer things on the side. And uh, computers were like, personal computers weren't really a thing. For hobbyists, you could like go buy a kit and put together your own computer at home. And what he started to do is he'd buy the kits, put them together because, you know, he had some skill and aptitude, just talent for how to put these things together. And then he would like go and sell them to the shop and then they'd give him a premium because the computer was already built. Okay, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So then he like came up with a faster way to do our operating system or whatever magic sauce he had. I don't know. (laughs) I didn't research very well. Six months ago. (laughs) Probably more like a year. I don't know. But... So, the author's point being, Steve Jobs didn't love computers. He was just looking for a way to pay his rent. And then he was getting enough money, he just kept doing that. And boom, now we have iPhones. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody has iPhones. It's like, okay, sure, his passion was very different in the beginning, and then he fell into the computers. But you know what? Again, why would he continue to fiddle with them and try to make something better if there wasn't something that he really enjoyed while doing it? A passion. Yeah, there was some passion in there. Yeah. You have to have passion to keep doing what you're doing sometimes. Yeah. Now, I do say to people, especially earlier in their career, Maybe you shouldn't just focus on, I want to be an influencer, just, I have, or I want to be a, like a game player on Twitch and get paid for people watching me play games, because that's my passion. <laughs> I've got a lot of passions that I think people would be bored watching. Yeah. That's what hobbies are for. That's hell yeah. I have my hobbies outside of work, and... The two shall not cross. Right. So, do go explore with a whole bunch of different things. Early in my career, he would probably say that this is a classic example of his point he's trying to make. So, my dream jobs as a kid was I either wanted to be a wacky morning DJ on the radio, or I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And after I went to college, I got a degree in music business management, audio engineering, video production. Um... 
got a job at a radio station, literally in the mailroom, went up through the ranks of the business office for three years, did a massive switch. I was the morning show producer for just shy of a year. And then when that fell apart, um, well, cause I fell apart. <laughs> Let's just say I had a major life change in 1999. And, uh, then it was like doing temp jobs after that office temp jobs, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, you know what? I really did enjoy working in the business office. I did really enjoy the HR aspect and the recruitment side of things. Right. Wanted to stay close to the industry. So I chose to go for this human resources and accounting position um, that I landed with Rocky Mountain PBS, which is Channel 6. It's TV. And I was there for um, just shy of five years. So his argument would have been, well, you were passionate about being a DJ, but that didn't work out. But then you relied on your skills in HR to be, and that's why you followed that for your career passion. It sounds like you followed your this to make a living. Yeah, that's his like whole point. You were doing something to make a living, but here's the thing: the first job I got was in the radio station because I loved broadcasting. Right. It wasn't all on the air, but it was all in the same industry. Oh, okay, I can see your point. Yeah. So, anyways. Yes, it's important to know your skills. Yes, it's important to experiment with different jobs, but I don't necessarily accept this whole thing like what you experienced. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah. Any final comments on that one? No. I will say this. You're a lot more steadfast than I am. Because there was one job that I had that the COO of the company was grooming me to move into the director of placement. So this wasn't a career services for a particular occupational school. And I was in a specialist position there. I was writing all the resumes. We hired somebody to eventually take over my job. I was basically literally chaining her to be my clone I was teaching her the exact way I did all the writing, how I handled the candidates, everything. And then the owner of the company, when that job became available, the director level one, she literally said to my face, I can't promote you, Donna. You're too valuable at what you do. I need you doing this. I, you know, I, I feel that I did recently interview for a, for a opening in my job promotion in 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 my company, the the gentleman was retiring. Mm-hmm. I sat with him. He endorsed me. He pushed me. He wanted me to replace him. Mm-hmm. And when it came down to it, they hired somebody else, and they never told me I didn't get the job. That's the shit. The well, that's the worst part. <laughs> that's. And, and I talked to the manager, my manager, about it. And she said, at this point, it's not going to happen. And then my thought was, this guy, oh, I I was upset. I was angry. And then I got thinking about it. Maybe that's not a manager I want to work with. Yeah. 
Exactly. So I tried to turn something negative into positive. Right. And it made me feel a little bit better about myself. Yeah. No. But, I mean, that is real lame. The only way you found out about not getting the job is it was announced in a team meeting? It was announced in a team meeting. Yeah, that's awful. That I didn't get the job. That's awful. Now, in my case, when the, the, the owner told me I had to stay in my job, not only that, to add insult to injury, I had to train the director that oh. she hired. Oh, I've done that. Yeah. That's always the worst. That's always it's like, a horrible thing. I know. Isn't it tempting to just train them wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I often say there, there's the the right way and then there's my way. Mm-hmm. You can do what you're comfortable with, but I tend to do it well. I've been here a while, so think about how you want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now we get to one of my favorite parts of the show, where we get to talk about tattoos. And I have tattoos. And you have tattoos. <laughs> That's have awesome. Several. Yeah. And you recently added to those. I did. I, I've added three of my uh, birth signs to to my, my arm. as a, uh, I, I felt in my life was struggling. So I'm like, time for a change. So I'm going to add some things to help me straighten out my life. Mm-hmm. And... That's one of the things I love about tattoos, right? Right. We can have things on ourselves to give us strength or to help us through difficult times. Those like big reminders, like kind of going back to our first topic today of like, oh my God, I suck. Maybe it's not always us that sucks. Maybe it's outside things. And sometimes we need like that little boost for ourselves to like give us that reminder in the mirror every single day. And it's like, oh yes. We got this. I don't suck. I just, I don't suck, and and I feel the the tattoos empowered me. Yeah. Do you want to tell us what they are? I've got a Mars tattoo, mm-hmm. and I have a the planet, the planet, not the yeah, Mars planet. I have a boar tattoo. It's a metal pig. <laughs> not not like metal, yeah, rock on, like dude. Metals and steel. And then I have a sweet pea tattoo. A sweet pea flower tattoo. Yeah, not sweet pea from not Popeye. Popeye, no. I don't think <laughs> I would want a sweet pea from Popeye. The, more people might think you were a bear if you did. Well, I get that anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're part of my birth sign. And I did them just to help me straighten out my life at the particular time I needed them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they surround my airy sign, so yeah, it's 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 several tattoos on one arm. Excellent. So, uh, artist. I don't recall Sarah. The Sarah. Yes. Yeah, Sarah. She uh, with I, mantra tattoo. With mantra tattoo in Lakewood. In Lakewood, Colorado. She, <laughs> great job in Colorado. <laughs> uh, she uh, did a great job. She walked me through it. A couple, uh, as she put it, spicy spots when she was tattooing. I was like, "Ooh, wow, that one got me!" But she did a great job. And they do look really good. Yeah, they look good. I will say that yeah. I've seen them. I tattoo pretty well. Yeah. As you take it. As I take it pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that should be your new passion. You could become a tattoo artist. uh, My hands are uh, not steady enough from all the abuse that I did growing up. Oh, gotcha. I understand. Yeah. Yep. But there's another career that 
you only get involved in if you're passionate about it. Uh, right, because some of the people, I, I was sitting in the chair with, with Sarah, and one guy came in, got upset that I was there. Went and got a tattoo in another shop, came back. We were still working on mine and said, fine, I'll just go someplace else. Mm. Yeah. Well, the path to a career as a tattoo artist I mean, is usually an apprenticeship that lasts two to three years. You often have to pay the person you're apprenticing under if it's a quality one. That could cost five to $10,000. Wow. And yeah. that's before you even get paid to tattoo yourself. Right. That's working as the apprentice. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. You have to love it. Yeah. If you want to be a good one. If you want to be a hack and scratch, I'm sure you can get started much cheaper. Or you could just go to prison. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's been our show today. Thank you very much for joining me today, Ryan. He who shall not be further named. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And uh, we will get back to people probably next month. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Tattooed Freaks in Business Suits, produced by the Personal Touch Career Services. Our host is Donna Shannon. All music has been ethically sourced and licensed from SoundDogs.com and EpidemicSound.com. Support the arts. We certainly do. Join us next time as we continue to explore the evolving world of work and leadership in the United States. If you are interested in being a guest or if you would like to receive a complimentary career evaluation, please visit the contact page at personaltouchcareerservices.com. Once again, that's personaltouchcareerservices.com. Or you can just Google it. <laughs>